Amen. Well, hey, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Y'all doing good? Good deal. Let me get everything situated up here. Well, guys, it is so good to be back with you today. My name is Justin Abercrombie. I serve as the student pastor in Statesboro, and uh, Dublin, you and I well know each other by now. I love y'all. So excited to be back with you today, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. I can tell you what, I for one am just extremely thankful for those who have lost their lives in service to our country, and those who have served and gone and passed before us, and have served, of course, to protect our freedom. Are you thankful for that as well? Amen, amen. Well, again, so, so good to be back with you here today. You know, the first time I believe that I was with you, Dublin, I told you that I was just floored by two things. You know, number one is that God is doing amazing things in and through your church. Amen? Church, I don't know if you realize that, but I I know this, is that it is not dependent on anything that we do, but it is completely dependent on what God is doing, and God is doing amazing things in and through this church, amen? He is moving in a mighty way, and I'm so thankful for that. The second thing is that I was blown away by your hospitality, and I told you that you even really made me feel like I was home. Well, you know, today that's really just this cool thing, just this cool reminder for me because as I look right down here, I see my family and my friends, some of my Connect Group guys who made the trip over here just to support and be here for me. and so, so thankful for them. But what I realized today, as you see, is that we might be family, but we are family. Amen? That we have been brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are here together as a body of believers. For those of you who have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, is that we are here and we are here for one purpose, one person, and one name, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I can tell you, he's already moving in a mighty and powerful way today, and I'm excited again to be here with you and excited to share what the Lord has put on my heart. Now, church, as you know, we are back in this series called Counterfeit. Now, this has been a different series because it's only been two weeks, and this is the second week of Counterfeit. My good friend, Blake Hardiman, came and shared the gospel last week and just did an incredible job, as he always does. So, so thankful for him. And so I'm here with you today to share the message that God has placed on my heart. And the whole heart of this series is to look and examine what is fake and separate what is fake from what is real about a relationship with God. And in the process, rediscover how we walk with God on a daily basis. And so that is what we are looking at because I believe this, is that there is nothing counterfeit about the gospel, amen? I believe that there is everything real about the living hope that we have in Christ Jesus, amen? Amen. We're going to get there little by little here today, church. Thank you. Thank you for the amens down here. I believe that the gospel still changes hearts, amen? And I believe that God is here and he wants to do something amazing, amen? So with that said, church, what I want to ask you to do is please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22. Give you just a minute to get there. We're going to read Matthew 22 and then pray. So we are going to be in verses 34 through 40. And this is what the Bible says starting there in Matthew 22 verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Church, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we recognize, God, that you are already here and you are moving in a mighty and powerful way. And so, God, we just ask that you would continue to do that. Lord, I thank you for each and every person, God, that you have gathered here together today. Lord, that we know that it is not just by random chance, but God, that you have ordained it, Lord, that we would gather together, Lord, today as a body of believers. And God, because of that, God, we know that you are within us, Lord, that if we have placed our faith in you, you are within us, and God, you want to speak to us today. So God, I pray that you would do just that, God. I pray that you would just take away every distraction, any kind of burden, any kind of addiction, any kind of suffering or pain that people might be walking through today, and Lord, that for a moment that we would stop and we would just put our focus and our hearts completely on you, because God, our heart cries that we want to hear from you today, and Lord, we need to hear from you today. God, we need you today. Lord, whether we know you or whether we don't know you, God, we need to grow closer to you. So God, would you just pull us in? God, I thank you for your word, Lord, that you have a message for us. God, I thank you that this is not my message. Lord, but rather it's yours. And so, God, I pray that we, myself included, would just stop and humble ourselves, Lord, and just hear from you through your word. And God, I pray for hearts to be open. God, I pray for eyes to be open, Lord. I pray for hearts to be ready to receive the gospel, Lord, including mine, God. So would you just speak to us? Would you change us, God? Would you just uh, key our focus in on Jesus completely, Lord? We want to give everything that we have, everything and nothing less, to him today. So, God, we thank you for what you're already doing. God, we thank you for what you're going to do. And so, Lord, would you just continue to move. Lord, we love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, that's the most amens I've heard all morning. There we go. We're getting there little by little. Well, hey, church, you know, again, we are back in this series called Counterfeit, you know, looking at, again, what is real, what is fake about a relationship with God, and just rediscovering how do we walk with God on a daily basis. Well, you see, I have a question for you, and I'm going to go ahead and preface it with this. It's kind of one of those general questions, but I think that's good because it's going to leave room for you to kind of evaluate in your own life how this might be true. Have you ever had to reevaluate something in your life? Maybe it was something new that you learned and you realize, okay, learning this new thing is going to change things about me. Or maybe it's just coming back to something that you already knew, realizing that, hey, I've been kind of straying a little bit off of this moral, maybe this standard, this value, whatever it is. And so you've got to evaluate the way that you're walking, the way that you're living, and get back in line with that, right? Everybody can think at least of a couple things, right? If you're married in the room, I'm waiting for you to say amen, because from what I understand, I'm not there just yet, but you see, that's going to require a little bit of re-evaluation, right, Connor? It's going to require a little bit of, okay, I'm over here, maybe I need to get back over here for the sake of my wife, right? If you're a parent, then yes, or even a child, right, children or students, yes, you got to reevaluate some things, Right? As, as we're walking and we're living, that mom and dad say this, and okay, I've got to get back over here, you know, in order to honor them, because that's the fifth commandment. Amen? Right. So, we've got to reevaluate the way that we're living. Well, you see, this is easy for me to recognize now, because like I said, I am not married, but I am engaged. In fact, my fiance Katie, is here. Uh, she moved back a couple rows since the last time. She was smart. She was getting out of the spit zone right down here. Guys, I'm sorry because you are right smack dab in it. But you see, I have learned that coming into an engagement and especially wedding planning 
requires some reevaluation on my part, right? Because I'll be honest with you, I am that kind of like passive aggressive guy, and Katie's going to be down there just like, mm-hmm, here in a minute, because I'm that guy where like you ask me like, well, what do you think? And I'm just like, oh, whatever, whatever you want. You know, but then meantime, like, she'll start picking things out, and I'm like, I, I don't like that one, right? And so it's kind of been this, like, painful process where I have to reevaluate the way that I say things, right? And I have had multiple people call me that are entering into this same season of life as I am, and here's the greatest single piece of advice I give them, that if you're going into engagement or you're about there, or even if you're married, is this. Think about everything you say before you say it. Everything. Because you might really have a valid point, but you see, your valid point might not be beneficial for the sake of the relationship in that moment. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so we have to reevaluate constantly, okay, I need to get back over here for the good of my engagement, for the good of my future marriage, and the good of my fiancé and future wife, right? We constantly have to reevaluate. Well, you see, the, way, the reason that I ask you that question is because you see that we as believers, those who have placed our faith in Christ Jesus above all other people, must be people who reevaluate the way that we live our lives, right? Because if we come to the Bible and we claim the Bible is the only truth, the big T truth and authority in our lives, that means that we've constantly got to change the way that we are living to walk in line with God's word, Amen. And you see, we are sinful people. I am a sinful person. And that means there's got to be correction and rebuke in my life. And you see, I might not agree with what the Word of God says, but I can agree that the God wrote the Word, and therefore I must get in line with His Word. Because you see, here's the thing, is if we as believers, we as Christians, claim the Bible as the only authority in our lives, that means we have no right whatsoever to form our own opinions and live our lives based off of it. Now, that's a tough truth to handle, and that hurts me because I constantly, as I say, have to reevaluate and get back in line with the truth of God's word. But you see, church, the reason that I really mention this to you today is I ask you gracefully and peacefully. I know I'm already fired up, and I'm yelling. I promise it's just passion. I'm not mad at you, but I do have this question for you is I want to encourage you throughout this entire process that as we come to God's word and we hear what it is that he has to say to us today, that we would reevaluate what God's word says and then ask the Holy Spirit to help us get back in line with what his word says. Amen? Because that's the whole reason that we're here, right? We're not here just to sing songs. We're here to worship God, be filled by the Holy Spirit who lives in all of us, and now leave this place to go live it out on a daily basis. Amen? That's the reason that we're here. And so I pray that we would take good advantage of our time and that we would come to God through his word because he's already here. He has come to us. And that we would now ask God to allow us to reevaluate our hearts, reevaluate the way that we live out this relationship with Jesus. And you see, really, this is the whole heart of this series, Counterfeit is rediscovering what is real and genuine, authentic, and what a true relationship with Jesus looks like. But that means that we're going to have to remove the blinders off of our eyes. It means that we're going to have to ask God to show us what his word says, that we would truly receive it, and now we would act upon it. Because remember, what does the book of James says? It says, don't only be hearers of the word, but be hearers and doers, to live it out to live it out. And so that's my heart's prayer for all of us today. And I hope that it's your prayer as well. 
And so what I want to do is keeping this in mind is that we need to reevaluate, that we would come back to Matthew 22. Because you see, there's a lot that we need to reevaluate there because what Jesus says is extremely important. Realize the weight of Jesus' words. That he says, this is the first and great commandment. Now, if Jesus himself says that this is the first and great, don't you agree that we need to focus in on what that means for you and me? Yes, we do. And so I pray that we would do that now. So would you just, if you're right there in Matthew 22, hang there with me for a minute, and let's walk back through this passage of Scripture. So starting in, again, verse 34, this is what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now stop just a moment because one of the things that I love doing is really just asking questions of the text. You see, that's going to be extremely important for us later because I want to give you some questions to ask of every single passage of Scripture as we walk through it. That's not only going to be beneficial for us today, but it's going to be beneficial for all of us every single week from here on out. Not only here on Sunday mornings, but in connect groups. That as we're walking through our 412 reading plan, which I hope and pray that we're doing together as a church, that just fires me up to think that there are multiple people here as a body of believers walking through the same passage of Scripture at the exact same time. I pray that we would ask these questions, which I'll get to in a moment. But as I look at this, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? You see that the Pharisees have now come back to Jesus because the Sadducees have been silenced. Well, what's happening is that earlier in Scripture, the Pharisees and Jesus have just been toe-to-toe. And the Pharisees are always trying to ask him questions and stump him. Well, you see, the Pharisees had already been silenced because they start asking questions about taxes, right? With Caesar or God. And Jesus answers that and just leaves them absolutely baffled. So then the Sadducees, another group of these religious zealots, these high ups, these religious leaders come and they say, okay, well, we're going to ask Jesus questions. And Jesus baffles them too. Can you imagine that? That God himself would say things that we just can't quite understand and wrap our minds around. And that's what they are understanding or coming to understand here. And so again, after the Sadducees are silenced, the Pharisees realize we must do something. We must do something. And so one of the Pharisees heard about this. They gathered together, and one of them, in verse 35, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Realize this. Realize what is going on. Is that this man does not want genuine information from Jesus. He wants to test him. And you see, it's easy for us to look at this character in Scripture and say, why in the world would they do that? But church, we do the same thing every day. When we want God to do things for our own selfish reasons. And when we gather together as a body of believers simply to get something for ourselves. You see, I've heard people say all the time, oh, I've tried Christianity. No, if you have that heart where you say, I've tried Christianity, the truth is you tried to use Christianity and it didn't work out for you. Because you can't use it. You can't use it. It changes your life radically. And this lawyer, he is blinded. He has these blinders on, but he comes to test him. And he says, teacher, in a polite way, of just trying to get Jesus to slip up. Teacher, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And you see, what this lawyer has in mind is this. He says that there is absolutely no answer that Jesus could give that's going to suffice. Because any answer that he gives is going to damage his reputation. 
Because think about the mindset that these Pharisees have. That they have taken and abused the whole law and put it into these really just unnecessary burdens on people. And you see, that's exactly what religion does. Is that it burdens people, but a relationship with Jesus frees people. Amen? And you see, this is what they're trying to enforce, but they have missed it. And so he is saying, oh, certainly all of the law is God's word. Therefore, anything that Jesus says is going to be wrong. Well, it might not be wrong, but it's certainly going to put him in hot water. This is a win-win for us, is what this lawyer and the Pharisees as a whole are saying. But listen to what Jesus says, and keep in mind that Jesus is baffling people, right? And he answers this in verse 37. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, do you see what Jesus is doing here? Is keep in mind that this lawyer has come in with this heart, this mindset, right? That there is nothing that Jesus can say that is going to get him out of hot water. His reputation is going to be damaged. We've got him right where we want him. Just wait for him to mention one of the Ten Commandments, and then we're going to start saying, no, but how can you say that that one's above all the other ones? But what does Jesus do? He doesn't mention a commandment at all. In fact, what he mentions is something called the Shema. That this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that the Lord speaks through Moses to the people of Israel. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And God says to keep this on your mind at all times. Pray it several times a day. When you wake up, when you go to bed, when you eat a meal, bind it around your neck to constantly remind yourself to love me. And Jesus mentions this. But they are baffled because they are expecting a commandment. But what the irony is in all of this is Jesus is saying, in your attempt to focus so much on the law and what I must do and what I can't do, you have missed the intent of the law. Because you see, the law is meant to stir in our hearts this realization that we are unworthy and all who have sinned fall short of the glory of God. But then that brings us to a place of repentance where it was never about the law. The law brought us to a place where we would realize this and accept the loving grace and mercy and kindness of our God through Christ Jesus. Amen? That this is the purpose. All of these things are serving to show you and stir your heart for God to love him with every fiber and ounce of your being, but they have missed it. They have missed it. But Jesus continues there in verse 39, and this is so important. He says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what Jesus is doing here is now referencing Leviticus 19, verse 18. Leviticus 19, that's one of those passages we like to take out of context a lot, a lot, you know, a lot. You've heard of that one before? Well, this is what it says, is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that this commandment is like the first. And what Jesus is saying is this. Listen closely to me, church. He is saying that wholehearted love for God means seeing other people as God sees them. Wholehearted love for God means seeing other people as God sees them, and all people are the objects of God's love. Amen? 
Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, hold up, Justin. It's really hard to love somebody. We're going to return to this in a minute. But church, this is what we must realize together, is if there is someone in your life where you are saying it is hard to love this person, right? Well, then consider this. What is necessary for you to love them? Ask yourself, are they a human being? And if the answer is yes, then the command is yes, you should love them. Yes. Are they a human being? If yes, then yes, you are commanded to love them. Now, to break this down a little bit more in these two verses that Jesus says, this is the first and great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he is basically saying two things. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to take note of these things. The first thing that Jesus is saying is this, wholehearted love for God stems from wholehearted love from God. Let me say that again. Wholehearted love for God stems from wholehearted love from God. Do you realize what I'm saying and therefore what Jesus is saying in the word? That we can only love if we first realize that we are loved. And we are indeed beloved. You see, church, what I pray that we would realize today is that God's love is far greater than us. It is far greater than us, but it is certainly not lesser than us. If you are sitting in the room today, whether you have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ or not, you need to know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you more than you could possibly ever know. That this is the good news of the gospel. And if you are here today and you have never once heard that, don't hear it from me. Hear it from God himself. You are loved. And you are his. And you might not know it just yet, but he's got a plan and a purpose for you. And he's calling you. And his heart is for relationship, church. God's heart, our Father's heart, is for relationship and reconciliation. Now, you might not have received that through the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you need to know that nevertheless you are loved because he created you. Because he created you. God's love is greater than you, but it certainly isn't lesser than you. You are loved by God, but you're not the only one loved by God. Remember Genesis 1.27 says that all men and women are made in God's image. Male and female, he created them. And if God created you, then he loves you. I pray today that hardened hearts that have never once received love in any form, that hardened hearts today would receive the love of God that is found only in Christ Jesus. Amen? That is my prayer, and you need to know that if you are in the room today and your heart and heart is keeping you from hearing this message that is from God, you have been prayed for, and specifically your salvation has been prayed for today. Rest in that, is that these people don't even know you, but you have already been prayed for today. I pray that you would say yes to the love that is found in God through Christ Jesus today. Again, remember, is that having this in mind, that God loves all of his children, what that does is it removes every reservation that we might have about loving others. Because you see, we are a people who love to hold back love and affection from other people, right? And especially those who disagree with us. Especially those who disagree with us. You see, I was reading something this week that just struck me because I was so convicted as I am through every word that God has put on my heart today. And this was actually from an author, one of my favorite. His name is Bob Goff. And he says this. He says that if you want a report card of how well you're doing in your faith, evaluate how you're treating people who disagree with you. 
Let me say that again. If you want a report card of where you're at in your faith today, evaluate how you treat people who disagree with you. And I think we can all agree that we are not the best in the world at treating people well who disagree with us. You see, there are hard-to-love people in the world. Amen? There are hard-to-love people. In fact, I am one of them. Just ask my fiance; She will attest to this, is that I am one extremely hard-to-love person. But church, we need to realize that Jesus has already given us an example as to how to love hard-to-love people, and it's at the cross. Jesus died for hard-to-love people. Jesus died for those who crucified him, surrounded by people who mocked him. And still, as Luke 23, verse 34 says, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are you struggling with how to love hard-to-love people? Jesus knows what you're walking through, and still Jesus loves hard-to-love people, and we are those people. We are those people. But we have to realize this. We need to reevaluate how truly we are loving God and then loving others. So the first thing, remember, Jesus is saying that wholehearted love for God stems from wholehearted love from him. Amen? Is that first off, we have to receive this and understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to reconcile us back to God our Father. And he did it out of love. He did it out of love. He didn't do it because we were worthy. He didn't do it because we were good enough. He did it because he loves us, and the truth is he would do it again. But he doesn't need to because he said it is finished. The way is open for you, and his name is Jesus. He is the truth. He is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Would you hear this call of grace and love today? Wholehearted love for God stems from wholehearted love from him. The second thing that Jesus is saying is this. When he says, remember the second commandment, which is similar to the first, is love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus is saying. Wholehearted love for God leads to wholehearted love for others. Let me say that again. Wholehearted love for God leads to wholehearted love for others. And do you see, I will just be the living, I guess just drawing on the whiteboard today. I saw where Brandon in Statesboro had a whiteboard and I was super jealous because I am a visual learner and perhaps you're a visual learner. But imagine this, that what Jesus is saying here is keeping in mind that wholehearted love for God stems from wholehearted love for, for God. Excuse me, did I say that right? Got my tongue tripped up. You know what I meant, right? You understand me? Appreciate it. What I want you to imagine is that God is here at the top, and if we are here, then we need to realize that God's love, which the Bible says is an agape love, it's an unconditional love for us, he pours it out and he showers it on us, not because of any good merit on our own. This is called grace, this love that we've received, that we are here. And it is only when we will receive that love from God that we are then able to love him wholeheartedly in return. Does that make sense? Was that better? Appreciate it. Now the second thing that what he is saying is that wholehearted love for God, keep in mind this way, now leads to wholehearted love for others. That if we will receive it, do you see the triangle that is coming here? God gives his love to us, and if we will receive the truth that we are loved by God through Christ Jesus, we now have a completely selfless and loving, genuine, authentic love for other people. And what happens then is when that is achieved, God is glorified. 
And God promises that he will be glorified. Even if the rocks have to cry out, he will be glorified. But you see, church, he is asking us to get involved. He is asking us to love. And he says that wholehearted love for God leads to wholehearted love for others. In other words, what this means is this. Church, it is a spiritual impossibility to love God and not love others. It is a spiritual impossibility to love God and fail to love other people. But you see, we have quite a problem with this, don't you think? The truth is, however, we cannot love God and hate or even dislike his people. And who are his people? I'm not talking about the people who are sitting beside you on the pew. You're looking at them and you're like, that neighbor I can love. No, I'm talking about the people on the outside. Because church, we need to realize that remember, we as the church exist for the people who aren't here most likely. Or the people who are here and don't have a relationship with Jesus. And we need to realize that people on the outside are looking here on the inside to see how we love our own and how we will love them. But will they look in and will they see open hands or will they see fingers pointed? And I pray that they will see open arms, which is aware of this amazing agape love that God has for us. That now we can't help but just simply pour it into other people. And church, we need to realize, looking back at Revelation 2, as Blake shared last week, is that if we fail to love other people, it doesn't even matter if we've got our theology in row. Don't, don't mistake me here. Our theology is extremely important. However, I believe the best theology is loving people. Because what good is it knowing about God if you don't know how to love like him? Because you see, we're supposed to be a light to other people. But I ask you, can they see the love in us? Can they see the love in us? Keeping in mind this church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, what did they fail to do? Love. Jesus writes to them and he says, you have done well in removing the false teachers and standing up for theology and right doctrine in this church, but you have abandoned your first love. And he says this, if you will not repent and turn back to me, I will remove your lampstand. You know what that means? Well, it's a fancy word. It's called this, apostasy. Realize, church, that if we fail to love the world as God has called us to love the world and as he loves the world, then we risk apostasy and losing our standing as the church. Now, that's tough. But it's the truth of scripture. And remember, I would fully expect it to be the case that if God wrote a book as he has, that me as a sinful man reading it would have a lot to disagree with. But it doesn't matter about my opinions because I come back to the truth that God wrote us a book in love. And that changes the way that we live. Amen? It changes everything about us. And you see, this is tough for me. It's tough for all of us, I know. But we need to understand that as a church, we have an obligation. But church, that obligation is not to bear fruit. It's not to bear fruit. Because you see, this is the promise that Jesus makes to us in John chapter 15. He says that if you will abide in me, then I will provide the fruit. He says, if you will abide in me, then don't you worry about the rest. I will provide it. Church, we as believers of Christ Jesus do not have an obligation to bear fruit because God promises us that something, that is something he will produce as we abide in him. Amen? What we do have an obligation to, however, is this. Love. 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 It is love. It is love. It is love. 
and Christians, fellow believers, we must understand a couple of things. Number one, we've got to stop expecting non-believers to act like believers. We've got to stop expecting non-believers to act like believers. Where we're getting our holy huddle and we look at people on the outside who are living a different life. And we say, oh, well, they're not living in accordance with God's word. Why would they? Why would they? They don't know him. God has entrusted us with the task of showing him to them through our love. But again, will we be a people who points fingers or welcomes them with open arms? And love beckons us to receive others with open arms, no matter their past, no matter their present, because God ultimately knows their future. And we have to see that person as a beloved child of God and know that God has a plan and purpose for them through Christ Jesus. Amen? Therefore, we love them, love them, and bring them closer to Christ. The second thing we must realize is this. Christians, we have not done anything uniquely Christian until we've loved our enemies. Let me say that again. We have done nothing uniquely Christian until we've loved our enemies. There is absolutely nothing else that we do as the church that separates us from non-believers. You want me to prove it to you? Do you gather together for worship? Do you gather together? Well, yes, so do other people. Do you pray? Yes, well, so do other people. Do you give your time and your money to good causes? Yes, well, so do other people. Do you listen to your podcast, J.D. Greer? Hello, I love my J.D. Greer podcast. I know Brittany Smiley and Brian do too. I love my J.D. Greer podcast. But if you do, well, good, but so do other people. The only thing that separates us as the church from the unchurched is our ability to love our enemies. That is it. That is the only thing that separates us. And we need to realize is that Christ is looking to us. Remember the great and first commandment. He is looking to us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And now love our neighbor as ourself. He has asked us to love and he has entrusted us to love. But church, I ask you, will we be a people who above all else love? Will we be that people? And I pray that we would be realizing that number one, wholehearted love for God stems from wholehearted love from God. Got it right that time. And wholehearted love for God leads to wholehearted love for other people. That we would rally around and we would reevaluate the way that we're living our lives. Keeping in mind that report card that I mentioned earlier. Not that it's about a checklist of duties. But rather we see that Jesus has fulfilled it all as we're about to talk about in a moment. And now we are freed to love. And we would simply evaluate. And if we find that we are in the wrong, that we as the people of God would have a heart to say, God, correct me. God, rebuke me. God, I repent of this. And Lord, I realize and I want to receive the love that you have for me. And I want to let that pour into other people. Because church, I believe this is that someone who has truly been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ can't help but to share that love with other people. Amen? That it's not that, oh, I've got to get here first, step one, and then I can move on to step two. You know, just pass this space and I'm on right here to love other people. No! God promises that if you will receive what he has for you, his agape and amazing and just indescribable love, then you can't help but to love other people. Amen? He promises to transform. 
transform you, remember? But we have to come back to the truth of his word. The problem is we have let our experiences and the lie of the enemy take us away from the true goal that is found in Christ Jesus himself. We have to reevaluate where we are and ask God to change us, ask the Holy Spirit to help correct us. Amen? And I pray that we would be a people above all else for love, for love. And the last thing is this, keeping in mind these relationships, right? That we see that what Jesus says is two commands. He says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and now love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? Two commands. However, what we typically miss as the church is that within those two commands, there are actually three relationships. There are three relationships. Look at where this verse stops, literally in verse 39. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, would you say yourself? You see, that's where the verse ends, and sadly enough, that's typically where our practical application of it ends too, is right here. Because we will mentally assent to some truth that God loves me, yet we don't really receive the love that is found in him. And this is a huge problem for us because, you see, God calls us to have healthy relationships, healthy relationship with him, a healthy relationship with ourselves, and then a healthy relationship with others. It's the only way that we can receive love from God, love God, and now love other people. It is the only way. But, you see, what we have such a habit of doing is putting a lid on because of our past sin or our past shame, or the current circumstances that we find ourselves in. You need to know that despite your circumstances, no matter what it is that you find yourself in today, that God sees it, God is greater than it, and God can bring you through it because he is bigger than anything this life, even the enemy, can throw. God is bigger, and he is greater, and he is above it all. Amen? And so we've got to take the lid off. We cannot have one without the others. We must have a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship with ourselves, and a healthy relationship with others. And in order to live according to God's word, all three relationships must be healthy. But you see, come back to this truth, right? Is that the reason that we don't typically do that is because we are prone to wander and prone to base everything off of our experiences and the lies of the enemy. But you see, what that does is it results in a brain and a lifestyle and a heart that's just a big jumbled mess. But God promises that his word, the big T truth of scripture, looks a lot like this and a whole lot less like this, right? He says that it makes sense because this is the way that I have designed you to live is according to my word. And Paul encourages us with this. He says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Church, will you open up to reevaluate the way that we as a whole, as the church, are loving God and loving people today? Because the only way that we are going to be effective as the church of Christ in an age that is considered post-religious, right? Post-truth, that nobody accepts big T truth. The only way that we are going to compel and persuade other people that the gospel is true is by showing them the supernatural love that God has given to us and we are now able to share with each other amen this is the way this is the way and this is all throughout scripture 
You know, I've, I heard a story one time, and it was about the Apostle John, right? That even in his old age, that when he would come and he would speak to different churches and different gatherings of believers, he would come and he would take the stage and he would say this, little children, let us love. Let us love. Because he knew that at the end of the day, we can have our theology in row, and that is good and it is important, yes. But people are looking to the way we love to see whether Jesus is who he says he is. And church, I simply ask us, does the way that we love him and love other people prove to the world that he is good and he is God? Would we reevaluate the way that we are today? Would we reevaluate, God, how am I loving you? God, have I truly received the love that you have for me? And God, could you give me the ability to now love other people? God, not because I have to, but God, because I want to. Realizing what it is that you've done for me, God. Realizing who you are. And you see, those are the questions that we've got to ask as we're reevaluating and we want to get our minds and our lives back in line and according to God's word is that we've got to ask some questions, but the order in which we ask them are extremely important. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down these questions because these are questions that you're going to hear every week as we continue to walk through our 412 reading plan on Sundays. And it is this. The first one is this. Who is God? Who is God? Who is he? And you see, what I see is that we come back to the truth of Scripture. And we start at the very beginning just keeping in mind that all of God's word, all of his laws and expression of love for us, that we shouldn't get caught up on the little details. Does it mean that we don't obey God's word? Not at all. God's word is serious and is important. But rather we would realize that love has fulfilled the law. Therefore, there's no checklist to love because Jesus has done it all. He's done it all that we would come back to his word and seeing now that this God who created me loves me and this God wrote a book to me out of love for me. And from the very beginning, we would ask the questions, who is God? And we would see that he's far greater. He's far more amazing. He's far more graceful than we could ever realize. You know how the Bible begins? In the beginning, God. Because God puts the focus right where he needs to be. You see, maybe you're here today and you're walking through a trial. You're walking through some bit of pain or suffering. Could you consider that maybe God is asking you to take your eyes off your present circumstance and put them back on him? Because he's the author of life and he's got a plan. And from the very get-go, he says, I love you. And you see, I'm going to tell you about yourself. God says, I am interested in you. I have created you. I can explain exactly why things are as they are today. But I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I've got a solution. And his name is Jesus. You see, I want to reason with you. And I want to show you that I've always been here. That even you, just like Adam and Eve, when you sinned, you turned and you hid from God. We have a God who is good enough and, oh my gosh, amazing enough to ask us, where are you? Where are you? Church, he pursues us in our sin and he provides a solution through Jesus. And it is because he loves us. He loves us. Then and only then, after we understand who he is, we would ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I? Again, at the very beginning, we see that God loves us. We see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that we are special creation of God's. That he loves us and he has a plan and a purpose for us. 
then we see what has God done? Well, God has pursued us in the midst of our sin. And if you are here today and you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you are walking in sin, still you need to know that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you. God, your Father, is running after you. He is pursuing you because He loves you. He loves you. And you see the last question, keeping in mind these questions. Number one, who is God? Number two, who am I? Number three, what has God done? And number four, who have I become? Who have I become because of this great grace and love that God has extended to me? Well, you see 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 answers it very clearly. And it says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You are a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. Amen? That is the truth of who you are. And it is not because of anything you have done. It is completely because of what God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, has done. Amen? This is the truth of who we are. And you see, where we end today is this. I want to read some scripture to you and pray. And ask God to simply intervene and speak to our hearts and give us the ability to evaluate as we worship together again as a body of believers. But Paul writes this in that same passage we just mentioned, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. Listen closely to what he says. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this that one died for all therefore all have died amen and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised do you see what Paul is saying that it is only in receiving this amazing love from God that now I am compelled to share this love with you this invitation of grace in verse 16 he says from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is passed away behold the new is come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Remember, he's looking to us to love. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Church, that is the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And what Paul tells us clearly is that it is after receiving this love from God that now we are compelled to love him with everything that we have and now love other people. But I ask you, it only comes through reconciliation. Have you been reconciled to God? Have you been reconciled to God? And you need to know this, is that there is nothing I can do to help you in that process. But there is everything that God has done, and He has made the way, and it is open, and it is available for you. And it's simply through saying yes to the grace and love found in Christ Jesus. Amen? 
I ask you, if you are here today and you know that what is holding you back is you've had the lid on from receiving the love of God and receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God knows. God knows. And God tells us in John 6 that those who cry out to him, he will never cast out. Amen? So if you are here today and you know your heart's cry is to say, God, I need you and I need to be reconciled through Christ Jesus. If that is you today, would you simply put a hand in the air so that we can celebrate with you and pray for you? Is that anybody in this place today? Amen. Amen. One person. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Incredible look forward to praying with you and just talking about that. But I can tell you this, you have just made the greatest decision in your entire life and it is completely because the Holy Spirit has drawn you to a place of realizing who He is and what He has done. And He's done amazing things. Amen? And church, this is where I leave us today. And I know I went over, but I mean we've been together a couple weeks. You know the drill by now. I go a little bit over every week. But here's what I know. This is a lot of information, but I trust the Holy Spirit to show us how to live it out. You see, I believe that if we would rally around this truth of who the Holy Spirit is, Christ Jesus in us, then we would realize that we have everything we need as believers. We have everything that we need. We don't need to look to somebody else to tell us how to step. Rather, we ask the Holy Spirit, God, show me how to obey. Because God, I want to love you. I want to receive the love that you have for me. And I want to simply show it to other people so they can't help but look back at you. Because God, I know that you're doing something amazing. And God, I want to be obedient. And I want to be a part of what you're doing. That's a prayer that God will answer every single time. So church, I simply ask you this. That as I pray and as we continue to worship in a moment, would you simply ask God just to give you the ability to evaluate where you are to evaluate where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you know that you have wandered away a little bit, but what you need is a fresh realization of the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. No matter where you're at today, I promise you that God can reach you. Remember, his heart and his ministry is reconciliation. He's removed every barrier, every boundary that could separate you from him, and now it's just us and him. That's it. And God hears our hearts. He knows what's on our hearts before we even say a word. And he is faithful, even when we are faithless. Amen. So would we have the confidence, would we have the ability to simply ask God, God, show me where I'm wrong. God, show me how I step back in line and live according to your word. And God, give me a heart to faithfully follow you all of my days, to love you in response to the way that you love me and to love others just as Jesus loves all of us. Amen, church. Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you have moved in our midst and in our hearts. And God, we just ask you to continue to do that, Lord, as we worship you and we lift high your name. God, give us the ability to see ourselves, Lord, as as you see us, God. To see ourselves down to the very bottom, down to the truth of who we are, but yet come to this realization that, God, you 
love us and you've made a way for us through Christ Jesus and there's nothing or no one that can ever change that and God in response to that Lord we want hearts that are sold out and passionate that faithfully follow you all the days of our lives God we realize today that the world is looking to us to love and God we want to be good ambassadors Lord for you God we want to be good stewards of the gospel that you've entrusted to us and Lord we know that we do that by loving so God give us a heart that loves a heart that loves that stems from this love that you have for us and leads to a love for others God we love you continue to move and speak to us now it's in your son Jesus name we pray